Hello, hello, it's Brooke DeVard and you're listening to the Naked Beauty Podcast. I am still on my travel. I went to Tokyo. I had an incredible time, like truly the best time. I can't wait to do a deep dive episode on all of the beauty findings there. And now I'm in the Hamptons spending time with family. I've been reunited with my son. We're having the absolute best time. Shout out to all my Leos. It's finally Leo season. My birthday's coming up pretty soon. And a huge theme for me this August is rest, relaxation setting time to refocus and just get my life together before the fall starts. I cannot believe we're almost at the end of summer. You all are going to love this episode with Candice and you are really in for such a treat. Like I could listen to this woman speak for hours and hours and hours. She's incredibly smart, incredibly funny. And we get into like beauty conversation, but we also get into very deep conversation about interracial dating and and self-acceptance and knowing when to drop toxic friends. I mean, we really run the gamut throughout this whole conversation. And I'm very grateful to Candice for coming on the show and sharing so much with us. Now, if you're listening to the podcast and you love the podcast, please take the time to rate and review. And I do go through the reviews, so I really appreciate them. If you want to drop your social handle in the reviews, I can send you a little DM to thank you as well. But I really appreciate when you take the time to review the podcast. It helps other people find Naked Beauty. And as you're listening, I also super appreciate if you share on social. You can tag me at Naked Beauty Planet or at Brooke DeVard. You know I always love to to hear from you all. Listening back to this episode has made me feel very excited and just grateful that I have a platform where I'm able to have conversations with interesting, inspiring women that I admire. And gosh, this is one of, I think, my favorite interviews this year. Let's get into it. You'll know real when you get it. It will say eBay authenticity guarantee and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like a gem, sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things that you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts. Real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Candice, welcome to Naked Beauty. I am so excited for this conversation. Author, mother of two, fashion inspiration, beauty inspiration, but also for me, and I don't know how you're going to feel about this, TikToker. Yes. (laughs) When I see you come across my For You page, it's, I like before you've even said the first, because I'm just happy to see your face before you've said anything. I'm just like, double tap. I love your content so much. I love everything you have to say. And I love what a strong point of view you have and that you share so openly. So I know this is going to be a great conversation. No, thank you for having me. Major fan of the podcast. So thank you for having me. Oh, and I forgot to add podcaster as well. Podcaster as well. Uh, And I know you just finished your season, but people can go back and listen. Yeah, Closet Confessions. Podcasting is so much work, but I find it to be so rewarding. Yes, agreed, agreed. 
Well, we're going to dive into all things beauty. And I have to start with the beginning. What was your relationship to beauty like growing up? Take us back to being a young girl. Did you feel beautiful? Did you have ideas about what it meant to be beautiful? Yeah, as a young girl, uh, very surrounded by beauty. My mum actually used to work on makeup counters. So there was just a lot of makeup in our home. My nan was also obsessed with beauty, a lot of lotions and potions. I think, though, I didn't necessarily care about any of it until those preteen stages. I was very much a firm tomboy who was like, oh, just grease me up in cocoa butter and let me go on my way. And then at about 11, the teenage breakout started to kick in and kick in they did. And it completely smothered my confidence mm. because all of a sudden I, I was known for like crystal clear skin. And then all of a sudden, really bad breakouts, really bad hyperpigmentation. And I don't know if it's still like the thing to do in the UK now, but back then, oh, you've got acne, you're going on the pill. Everyone's on the pill. You get jammed Birth on the control. pill. Yeah. At like 12. Everyone gets put on the pill at 12. And I was just like, okay. I'm shocked right now. I don't even think I had my period by then. So I'd started my period at 11, which was still really early. Um, But yeah, I got put on the pill by 12. And they were like, oh, you know, this is your acne. Yeah. They were like, this is going to help control your breakouts. And then I had to use, I don't know what the medical term is, but just what felt like acid on my face. It came in like this squeegee bottle and it really burnt and it took all the colors out of my bed sheets and my pillowcases. Maybe it was benzoyl peroxide or? I think so. And then they were like, this is going to help with the scarring. And so I was just in this back and forth with my skin for like the next five years. And so I didn't feel beautiful at all, if that makes sense. It's just like I was just so concerned with my skin not doing what I wanted it to do. And now you have gorgeous skin. So we're going to have to get into your whole skincare routine. But talk to me about growing up in the UK. Where were you? What, who were the beauty icons of the time? Did you have particular beauty icons growing up? Oh my gosh, where was I? I was in Brixton, which is deep south London, as they would say. Um, Did I have beauty icons? I did. It was like Moesha. It was like Stacey Dash from Clueless. It was, yeah, and Tamira. It was, even though we were in the UK, we were being heavily influenced by like American sitcom TV. And there was a a UK band out at the time, three very beautiful dark-skinned black girls called Cleopatra. Like, wait, Cleopatra, they're British? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I had no Cleopatra coming at you. That was yeah. everything to me. I did not know they were from the UK. Yeah, they're from the UK. And so what was great about the time that I came of like preteen age is that tomboyism was style. It was massive, baggy combat pants, all saints, like I said, Cleopatra. I didn't necessarily feel the need to be a certain body type or show skin. And that was great. That didn't really happen until like the Britney and Christina time. And even mm. then I was just like, eh, that, that's not what I look like. And that's fine. I would say, though, as I got a little bit older, then came like the foxy brown little Kim 
type. So in, on one hand, it was like, no, I don't want to wear a crop top like Britney Spears. But then we all know what Little Kim and Foxy were wearing. So it was in a completely different stratosphere. And I started, we call it clubbing in the UK. So like going out to clubs. I started clubbing really early. Like I was the girl with the fake ID. So I was in the clubs from like 15, 16, soaking up like dance hall culture and like Sean Paul was big. Bashment music from Jamaica was massive. And so like, it was like tomboy, Monday to Friday, Saturday night though, the shortest shorts you could imagine. The tiniest top you could imagine because I'm going to a dance hall club. So right. <laughs> Well, I I relate to that because growing up, we went, I'm from Manhattan, New York City. We would go to the nightclubs at like 16 and everyone else, you know, in the suburbs, they were going to house parties and drinking out of like, I always say like the red cups. Like I never went to those parties with the red cups. I think they're solo (laughs) cups and like beer pong have never played it. I was going to the nightclubs with my friends. Like that's what we did for a night out. Yeah. And so you just you just soaked up that culture, although it was like looking back, I, I feel horrified because it was deeply dangerous, dangerous, adultified, too hypersexual, like just everything you shouldn't be doing. But it just made for great stories. And also, I think the reason I'm so comfortable with my personal style now is because I weeded through a lot of stuff really early. Many of my friends, it's not until their mid-20s that they really started like experimenting with dressing. I was like, yeah, I was wearing that at 15. So I've been able to like come through. And now if you go shopping with me, I can go through seven shops in half an hour. I don't dilly-dally. Yeah, you know what you want. I know what I want. I know what I feel good in. I'm just rifling through those rats like, no, 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 no. So like, I'm really, really um, keyed into what I want, how I want to show myself to the world now. And not just in a sense of a clothes, but also makeup. So yeah. Now, how old is your daughter now? She's nine. Oh my goodness. Wow. So how do you talk to her about beauty? How do I talk to her about beauty? And you know what, let me ask for both kids, you know, because I think we always have these discussions about how mothers talk to their daughters about beauty, but I would love to hear for your son as well. How do you talk to both of your kids about beauty and how old is your son? My son is five. Okay. I also have a stepdaughter who's 15. Okay. And so when she comes to our home, the dynamic completely changes because then my nine-year-old wants to be more like. And the conversations around beauty with my daughter were really quite tough. We had quite a harsh incident when she was four. A girl at the school she was at refused to play with her because she was black. So <gasps> we moved from London to like this what, teeny what? tiny village. What happened in that specific instance? Did the girl tell your daughter? Like, how did it all go down? So I'm walking at the end of the school day to pick my daughter up from school and I get a call from my daughter's teacher. And we had a little bit of a problem today at lunchtime. So this is four hours back. Yeah, go on. A girl completely refused to play with Esme because she's black and she said her skin was dirty and she didn't (sighs) like her. And the teacher who is white was so flippant and she was just like, and you know how kids can be. We gave her a two minute timeout. Hopefully that solves the problem. I've, I've gone in there, like I'm on the phone to my best friend, like crying because I now know what I have to pick up. It's not just my kid. It's her confidence. It's how she feels about herself. It's the beauty standard. Like I've got all of this to pick up. And my best friend is on the phone. And I never forget. She said, please handle this situation more like Michelle Obama than little Kim. She was 
She was like, please. Because she was like, as the only black in the village, if you go low, it's right. going to make the front pages. Like, please try and Because I was ready to flip some tables. Go in, collect my kid, give everyone the evils, have a conversation with the head teacher maybe a week later where she lets me know that they are working with a charity that can help detect terrorism in young kids and they this charity have found that white children within that school believe in the national front which is a very racist mm. terrorist group in the uk and you know what i said ma'am don't even finish the sentence i was like deregister her now right wow. she was like oh can we work through this i said you you've just told me you're having problems with the national front my daughter's the only black kid in this school this is gonna escalate and now i've got to go into protective mode and then i ended up on a whim because we really couldn't afford it then i put my daughter in a fee-paying school and like we rock up the first day and i'm like okay so this is where they're hiding all the nigerians just flooded, <laughs> flooded with black kids <laughs> I was like, oh, we're home. I just didn't know we had to pay to be home. Right, um, right. But that was the first time she questioned her beauty in a way that was outside of anything I could expect. She was four. Heartbreaking. She was four, you know? And traumatic so as well for you as a mother, because all we want to do is, I, my son is two and a half. All we want to do is protect them. That's like uh -huh. the only thing that we think about. And when things like this happen, you're just reminded how little control you have. Exactly. And so now the school that she's in is far more diverse and she's got a lot of friends who look like her. And so the conversation is like, how should my braids be? Her and her sister have been re-watching Moesha. So it's like, I'm seeing myself watch these things for the first time. And as much as I know I can't control the world and what the world thinks about her or her beauty, I, I know how hard I'm trying in the house. I'm trying so hard. That's beautiful. I love to hear that. One of the things that you write about so well is how Black women are often seen as less desirable, even from Black men, which still boggles my mind. I was actually getting my hair done. I was talking to my hairdresser and she was talking about how hard it is as a Black woman to date in Los Angeles. So she was saying, in her experience, a lot of Black men do not want to date Black women. And this is a topic that you've written about. I'd love to hear your thoughts about Black women and desirability. Oh, it's such a it's such a sticky conversation. And the only reason I think a my voice gets listened to when I speak about this topic or people aren't like affronted is because my husband's very, very black. I think if I were single or married to a white man, there'd be such pushback on this conversation. But when I say the things I say and then present this very Nigerian traditional man, everyone's like, oh, damn. So maybe she has a point. I have found, especially in the UK, it not so much to be about like not desiring a black woman. It's the, it's the idea that being with a white woman, they think that represents marrying closer or marrying into whiteness. It, I think in their minds, that means they're more successful, that they're more protected. It, that's the, and this is a conversation I've also had with black male friends who exclusively only date white women. And they're like, Oh, Candice, can we have a drink before you start? And I'm like, no, I'm, Please just tell me. And that's not to say that I have no pushback on people having preferences 
absolutely none. I'm just saying that at some point when we're looking at nine out of 10 well-to-do, handsome, seemingly good characteristic-filled black men decide to date out of their race, I'm like, the data suggests that that's not necessarily just preference. There is something there that makes you feel that you are more established, more of a success, and it's a very prickly conversation. So it's the proximity to whiteness and the perceived success from the proximity to whiteness that you think is driving it less of, I don't find black women as attractive. Oh, absolutely. And this is the thing, because I'm like, I have beautiful, smart, funny, well-to-do black single friends. And I'm like, something's not adding up here. That saddens me so much. But now as the mother of that black son, who is going to go into the world and make his own choices, I am hyper aware of the conversations surrounding beauty standards in our house, even the imagery we have on our walls. I've got I've got stacks of magazines laying around and I always like put the Erica Badu cover on the top. Like I'm very, <laughs> right. I'm very purposeful about seeding black female beauty in my house so that should he arrive at the age where he wants to date and he's chosen to date women and he says, you know, I'm actually in love with this white woman. I won't feel as though he's done that because he thinks that's better. I will be like, that's just the person he loves. And I also feel like that because I feel like he couldn't have a better example of black love than the relationship he's seen his mum and dad have. I love how you're being so intentional about that. And I completely hear you on being in a relationship for a long time. I think what you and I have in common is you've been with your husband for 12 years now. Yeah. I've been with my husband for 10 years, not married all 10, but we've been together for 10 years. And sometimes I think if I were single today, I don't know that I would be like, I talk to my single friends and I am like, there's just a lot going on out here. But I agree. You have to widen your aperture, if you will. In the UK, do you find colorism? Because I know you've spent time in New York and you're in the UK now. I've I've also lived in, I lived in London for uh, two and a half years. Do you think colorism is a big issue in the UK? Oh, it's so huge. It's so huge. It's almost crippling. And one of the issues, I wouldn't say it's an issue. I'm in a funny time in my life and my career where there's seemingly like the Oprah effect around me. I'm a very dark skinned black girl, but because I've been able to be successful in multiple columns, everyone's just like, oh, but it's just Candice. It's different. It's Candice. It's different. And so it's almost like, guys, this is a weight on my shoulders too. And sometimes I feel like I've been excommunicated from the conversation because the reality is certain brands are going to phone me because it's Candice and they like my personality, but they also know they're, they're ticking a huge diversity box by hiring me. So it's almost like, oh, this is really painful. And yeah, I know there are women my complexion or even darker who can't get certain job roles, can't get a look in, especially if they work in like a public facing role. It is so crushing here. It's like our our last dirty little secret. It's so crushing here that I'm seeing women who should be decades ahead in their career just hit this ceiling and like just get constant pushback whereas someone who is more befitting of the beauty standard look is cruising ahead and with less 
with less of a bountiful CV. That's the only nice way to put it. I'm like, and and what have they done? What, you know, what have they earned? What what have they been doing? It doesn't matter. They fit that vibe. And so I would say, and this isn't to say, because I've had conversations with friends and family who live in New York, of course, this is an issue the world over. I just feel like in England, once you get to a certain place in your career, it becomes very evident that that is like the final hurdle. Yes. You feel like you've almost hit this glass ceiling. And a lot of that is driving your desire to move back to New York, right? Oh, gosh. I, I got to go, babe. I got to get out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I, I've got to go. <laughs> you you are very New York. Your, your vibe, your energy, everything for me very much communicates you need to be in New York. <sighs> now, the fashion world, the beauty world, not always the most accepting, not always the most diverse. But I want to hear what made you fall in love with the world of fashion and beauty? It's uh, it's constant reinvention. It is that like almost shield between me and the world. I shaved my head when I was 17. I'm 35 now. So I've had this haircut like this is all my kids and my husband know. And I remember walking into college that day and like the whole form room just falling silent and people just being like, have you lost your mind? Because we were taught that our hair is our beauty and blah, blah, blah. And I remember making that decision. And actually I was influenced by a woman in New York. I was in Queens at the time staying with family and I'm trying to cross the road. And there's this black woman with a shaved head in like a massive rockerware puffer jacket and like knee high Timberland boots. And she's crossing the road. And in my mind, I've not even noticed that the traffic lights have gone red. I am sure every car is stopping for her because the aura coming out of her that I just connected to this hairstyle I was like I want that in my life and I want it now it had been 17 years of braids cornrows weaves bad perms I was like I'm out look at her like I couldn't so I came home went straight to the barbershop and just cut it all off and I think that was like the tipping point of me deciding I get to make choices about how I show up in the world. And so then that seeped into makeup and clothes. And the thing with like shaving your hair off at 17 is like, if you're just, if you're going to live it, live it. So now I just tried any trend and I really found ways to make these trends work for me. Also, I come from the kind of family that, so my grandparents came to the UK as the Windrush generation the young people that were asked to come from certain islands to help this country recover after World War II. I've never heard that term, Windrush it's called. Why is it called Windrush? Yeah, because the boat, the boat that a lot of them came on were called was called the Windrush. Oh, okay. Even if you didn't arrive on that boat, if you arrived in that time, you're defined as the Windrush generation. And I remember like, of course, they struggled to get jobs because it was like no blacks, no dogs, no Irish. These are literally posters on doors. And my nan and my granddad always used to say to me, the difference was how you dressed. You could maybe get a yes in this interview because you had on your Sunday best. And so like, I'll just be going to meet friends Especially if they're if they're non-black and they'll be like, God girl, you're so dressed up. And I'll be like, really? This this thing? like I just be like, huh? And I've noticed it's because like I've been taught to like always look a certain way, always yes. like carry that vibe. And it's just seeped into my everyday life and I love it. 
And, and I love that you document and keep us all inspired. I think one of the things that really stands out to me is from the outside looking in the persistent energy levels you have to look like, it's like you're doing the Peloton, you're doing the treadmill, you're working on a book, you're doing your podcast, you're getting the kids together. And then it's like, oh, and by the way, I'm wearing this fabulous outfit with this fabulous jewelry and the makeup's perfect. And, and I'm like the energy every single day to look great and do all of these other things. It's do you take like are you taking vitamins like what what's the what's the deal how how do you have the persistent energy to do it all and look great do you know what it is I'll be really frank and I don't think I've ever discussed it in this way in a podcast in my early 20s I really struggled with drugs I was taking so many drugs and I think in like this clean sober era I have had to find ways to manipulate that feeling for addiction mm. and this is a conversation I've only really just landed on with my therapist where she's like is running on your treadmill every day really about a personal goal or is it about control and addiction and success and so I think I'm arriving at a space where I'm like actually all these things are in place because they're the best of the addictions Wow. No one's going to send me to rehab for getting on my treadmill every day. No one's going to send me to rehab for wanting to wear a fabulous outfit. But I am like, it's because you lack control in other areas. And this is how I'm like buying it back. And so when I have this discussion with women who are like, how do you do it all? I'm like, it's more of a why. It's definitely more of a why. Because on a day when I'm even sick and I can't run on the treadmill or I can't get dressed up, the plummet in my mental health is so dramatic that I'm like, yeah, I don't like it here. And that's, this isn't to say that even the way I'm dealing with it is the healthiest, but I have taken note. Wow. I appreciate that openness. And that absolutely makes sense in terms of being able to control, like you have these things that you can't control, but what you can control is your workout, how you get dressed every day. For you and, and in the path to getting sober, was there a specific moment that pushed you towards sobriety or was it non-linear? It was on and off. And then I fell pregnant with my daughter and I was like, that's that. Right. It was very like almost clean. It was just like, and also I fell pregnant at a time where I felt like I was just between two worlds. I was in this really new loving relationship with this guy who is now my husband, but I was also like living in my first like bachelorette pad and all my friends were staying at my house and we all had shitty jobs so we could just get trolleyed and just rock up to work the next day thinking of last night. Like it was so Amy Winehouse-esque, <laughs> like one side of my life. And then falling pregnant, I was like, lurched out of that world. Yeah. I was like, and I remember like excitedly, giddily telling my friends, oh, I'm pregnant. And then that Friday night, them being like, oh, so are we getting any drugs in? And I was like, oh God, guys, I got to bounce. Like there was just no, right. and they're, they're still young. They're still having fun. And I, I had my child quite young, 24. That's you, very so young, they, yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah. And so I was like automatically kicked out of that fun but quite destructive episode are you still friends with them this oh, group no. no not at all how are they doing everyone is doing great but I'm better for it that they're doing great away from me <laughs> I understand I'm like and there was a lot of you know as the years have gone on there's been like 
stories about jealousy and just horrendous friendship attributes where I also had to recognize that a bit like feeling unloved by black men. I think I held on to friendships for too long because I was scared of dealing with myself. And so I kind of invited poor treatment and gossiping and backstabbing because I was like, well, maybe this is as good as it's going to get, you know? And I feel like motherhood just kicks you into another gear because it's just genuinely not about me anymore. And I had to be like, am I really going to bring a kid into like, quote unquote, a crack den? Like, no. So you got to get it together. Wow. You've said so much that's really resonating with me. For people that feel like they're maybe in a group of friends that's not supportive to their goals or how they want to show up in the world, what advice would you give them to kind of slow, you know, getting pregnant is a great out, (laughs) a great out for a friend group that's not serving you. But if you don't have that out, what is a good way to start slowly removing yourself from a friend group that feels toxic? I would say have that conversation first. I was on live earlier today where this came up and someone was like, get rid of all of those friends. And I was like, oh, 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 hold on, hold on. Because I now know as I swim in different friendship circles that I'm the least developed in some of my friendship circles. Like I'm the one that knows the least about business or investing. So imagine if that group of friends were like, oh, you're so like beneath us, like get out. I would say always have the conversation because it doesn't mean that every single relationship needs to be over. Maybe there are a few friends you can take with you, but try and have that conversation first. And if you find then that still no one wants to come around to your way of thinking, you're just going to have to be prepared to grieve. And I think, of course, we're used to grieving the actual dead. And of course, we're used to grieving romantic relationships, but no one's taught us how to grieve friendships. And they suck. They like you've more than any guy you're seeing for a year. If you've shared five years of your life with a girlfriend, they know so much more about you. You're so intertwined that then having to like pull away from them is literal grieving. And I think we don't respect that enough. It's just like, oh, they were just a friend. They were so much more than that. I love how Issa Rae really focused on this for an entire season of Insecure with Molly. It's a storyline that I hadn't seen, especially with Black women, but really with any women on television before. Yeah. Like, and it was just so real and honest. Like, you are thinking about that person. You do. For a whole year, I'd go to reach for my phone to be like, oh my gosh, have you just... And I was like, oh, well... That's not going to work. Like, it's just a reflex. The same way when my dad died for six months, I would like go to pick up the phone. No, no one's going to answer. And so you have to give yourself that space and that grace. But also, and I'm speaking way more to like younger generations than me, you've got to go outside. You've got got, got to go outside. The kids that are just on their phone inside all day. Honestly, this like this vortex of TikTok, which I love, but like, You've got to put the phone down and like push past the anxiety of being outside. None of these friends. Okay, you're going to make online friends, but even at some point, you're going to want to meet them in real life. And I think we've lost the juice for just like going out or even going out by ourselves. Like so many women I know specifically, they really struggle with that. And I'm like, I I love theater, dinner, whatever. I love going by myself. Yes. And I'm sure you're serving a look even when you're all on your own. 
Um, talk to me about the products that you use for your signature makeup look because it's the complexion's always flawless, the red lip is always flawless. It was so funny. We are literally sitting at my vanity. So let me let's get in. Yeah, the bag is coming out. When people have the products with them, I get really excited because then I get the visual as well. I hope I pronounced this right, but Uoma Beauty. Yes, Uoma Beauty. Yes. Uoma, yeah. Oh my gosh. So this foundation is called Say What? Weightless Soft Matte Foundation. Oh, and listen, I'm a Fenty girl through and through. I've got a lot of Fenty products, but there's something about this foundation and I'm a naturally oily girl okay. and it just allows my natural oil to just peek through without me looking greasy. And every time I like put this on, on live or on TikTok, everyone's like, what's that foundation? What's that foundation? This, I cannot, I cannot. And do you no. use a primer before the foundation? No. No, okay, yeah. I use um, La Roche-Posay and Thelios. Uh, Sunscreen. Sunscreen, SPF, it's one of my favorites. And then I do a little, or before the SPF, I use the Ordinary Hyaluronic Acid. Okay, I, I've heard only... people love this this one from The Ordinary. And it's so reasonable, like it's not a hefty price tag. I am a huge Dr. Barbara Sturm fan, huge. What is not a fan of that is my Amex card. Because <laughs> baby, baby, <laughs> why is that 30 mil serum 200? I know, <laughs> I know, I know. It's, it's, it's up there in price. The, the, the hyaluronic it. serum is wonderful, though, I think, from Dr. Sturm. Darker skin tones. Oh, my. Oh, it's great. But it's, but it's pricey. It's pricey. It's so pricey. Um, mascara. I've only just started using mascara because I wore fake lashes for 10 years. And so. <gasps> Can we pause yeah. there and talk about this? Because I am part of the no lash. I mean, I've got little baby, baby. I mean, this is me wearing mascara. I'm going to like get as close to the. You can see. Oh, yeah, I see. I see. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're like, if I if I squint and look, I can I can see your lashes. I've got little tiny lashes. And I, of course, eyelash extensions when you get them. Gorgeous. Oh my gosh. Love them. But then it's like then they fall out, then you have to get them filled in. You've got a it's like an hour and a half appointment. I don't have the type this type of time in my life. But the reason why I stopped doing it is because I I genuinely felt ugly when I didn't have the lash extensions. And I was like, this is not a healthy thing to not feel yeah. beautiful which is yes. the way my face has been my entire life because of these these lash extensions. So I was like, but but I feel the temptation calling my name again, especially in L.A. All oh. the girls here, it's like <laughs> the lashes are on point, the hair is on point, the nails are on point. And I'm like, should I just get like a little like light lash extension? I'm trying to hold back. Honestly, lashes had me in a chokehold for 10 years. And when I was last in New York in February, I got a really gruesome eye infection. And I was like, I'm done because I wear contact lenses as well. I'm terribly short-sighted. And I was just like, I'm so done because if it's not the falling out, it's the re-sticking, it's the, the whole I was thing. Like, yeah, I was like, no, 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 no. And so I'm pretty new to mascara. And um, I think Charlotte Tilbury's PR team sent me Pillow Talk. Nice. Uh, Push-up lashes, so good, so okay. good. She does so have like, great makeup. Oh, so these are like another thing that I swear by is Laura Mercier's setting powder, the loose setting oh, powder. So good. Oh, oh my gosh. And I know so many people are like, oh, there's different ones. There's better. I'm very much a, if it works for me, I'm going to mess with it until they discontinue it. Like and discontinuing something is my pet peeve. I'm like, this has been in my routine for years. Don't take that away. But most importantly, 
The only thing that I cannot live without is a red lip. I just yes, that's your signature. I freak out. I freak out. And so I always line my lips in a really dark lip liner by MAC called Night Moth. And people are like, oh, is that black? No, it's a really deep purple, a very, very deep plum. And then it depends on the day, but I usually fill my lips in with uh, Fenty MVP. Love a bit of MVP. On on a on a on a different day, Ruby Woo by Mac, the classic Ruby Woo. My my only issue with Ruby Woo is it's so drying. Oh my oh that formula. I'm just like I just feel like my lips are like nails on a chalkboard. But as long as I have trusty red lipstick with me, I feel like anything's possible. That's like your signature face. And what about skincare? Take, maybe take us through your nighttime routine. So what are you washing your face with? What's the moisturizer situation? Are you using retinol? What's give us the full rundown? Okay, so I'm a guys, all the dermatologists listening or whatever, please don't DM me. I know I'm crazy. I'm like a triple cleanser. So I use some kind of like, uh, I love a balmy cleanser, like a very oily balmy cleanser. And I love Ren. Ren do a great one. I'm using one by, I think it is it Elmis? Elmis, yes, right? Elmis, now? the naked yeah. cleansing balm. Oh, it just has to be good and greasy to get all the makeup off. Yes. I do that. Now I'm currently using, I think it's Purity 2-in-1 Cleanser by Philosophy. That's what I'll use second. And to make sure every single thread is off, it's something by uh, CeraVe. CeraVe. That's my final. Now, after that, I'm a huge, I can't remember how I stumbled across this product, uh, Peel Pads by Dr. Dennis Gross. Gross, yes. An An iconic product beloved by many. Oh my, oh, if you think you are on the cusp of a breakout, that peel pad just whips you back into shape. Also, it's really been cool to live through a time of like abrasive, gritty exfoliants. And now we just have this pad that doesn't feel as abrasive, but is really doing the work. I do that. Then twice a week, only twice a week, I use active ingredients. I'm on like a retinol uh, quite a low dosage And I was the girl when the whole retinol thing Blew up on TikTok I was hammering it every night And then I was like Why is my skin literally falling off <laughs> Number one I was using it every night <laughs> Number two I didn't understand You really have to moisturise Before you go in with that You you should not just slap it on your naked skin So now I'm yes. like I, A yeah, bit of a I barrier like, helps with retinol It's just a barrier a, Yeah it's a very yeah intense chemical that you're putting on your skin. Yes. And so I only do that twice a week. And before I've put that on, I usually use some kind of uh, water cream. I've recently just started using, is it Tatcha? Tatcha, yes. Oh my gosh. I love that water cream. Then I'll go in with that. But the rest of the nights, it's just a bit of water cream. But then the creme de la creme, Advanced Night Repair by Estee Lauder. Can I get an amen? I, I always say a cult classic for a reason. There is a reason why people love this product because Honestly, it's just incredible. I, it was like gifted to me a year ago and I'm the kind of gal that I'll, tr- I'll try it if it's gifted. And then I woke up the first night, I was like, okay, wow. Second and third night, I was like, good Lord. I just look renewed. And so I'm always trying to push that product on people. I'm like, have you tried the advanced night repair? But that's me at night. 
It's love it. I love the thorough nighttime routine and it's all paying off because your skin looks absolutely incredible. So where do you stand on the Botox filler conversation? You know, one of the big kind of light bulb moments I had was as you look at people, influencers included, but certainly celebrities, how few people have even their like original teeth, like everyone has veneer. I'm like, everyone has veneers. I'm like, do I need veneers? My teeth, I thought they were fine. Um, very few people are walking around with like their original face, which is fine. And I have absolutely no judgment about it, but wondering where you, how you feel about the cosmetic enhancements that people are going for now. I have no judgment. If I wasn't so scared, I'd be chopped up to the hilt, darling. Like <laughs> I'd be on every table so fast. I'm just a scaredy cat. Also like I've noticed that just a little bit of like, lack of elasticity i've just noticed I'm yeah i'm like okay that looks a little bit droopier and i remember i went to see someone who deals in these things and she was like girl absolutely not she was like i'm just not injecting you she was like i could take your money wait wait, you wanted to get injections yeah i wanted to like like under my eyes i was like just fill them out of it she was like get out of it like she was you literally have nothing to fill (laughs) she was like we are not doing this. And I was like, oh, okay. But I look at women, especially black women who are now saying like they're using it to prevent certain things and they look good. I'm not gonna, I'm so like non-judgmental because I think if we're really gonna have this discussion about body positivity, body neutrality, if we're really gonna go there, you also have to allow people to do what the hell they wanna do. Yes. You know, and as long as it's safe, And you are, I wouldn't personally never trust any kind of injectable or cosmetic surgery that's a discount or on sale. As long as it's safe and well-priced, I'm like, do you, baby? Do you? It's not my only issue as a mother. This is where the, the conversation gets interesting is I'm constantly having to reiterate to my girls, these faces aren't real. These bodies aren't real. Like you you just have to keep drumming that into them, especially as someone who has a proper mum body. Now I've had two kids. I'm like these rappers who are like three kids deep and they've got 14 abs. It's not real. (laughs) I'm just like... Even sometimes I get sucked into it and I'm like, oh, should I just like call the surgeon? And I'm like, nah, you're just not. And that's not to say that I'll never be ready. I'm just like, also, I'm having the conversation with my therapist about deeply understanding, even if just on a subconscious level, how much fat phobia impacts my life. I'm really starting to have that conversation because as someone who's defined as mid-size in the fashion world so not plus size at all but also not not the smallest I can get away with believing that conversations surrounding fat phobia are not for me they're not about me they don't need to include me it's that is a crock of shit it's always like right at the front I'll I'll have two slices of cake and be like, oh, you've really overdone it. Or I'll see an image from a different angle and be like, well, you know, what would be the harm of just blurring the tummy area? It's actually fat phobia and the way it has just seeped into our entire beings and how I'm having to like decolonize my brain because there is also another level of fat phobia for black women. Our bodies have been picked apart 
for like 500 years, quite literally picked apart. We are in a lot of aspects naturally curvier. Our curves fall in a different way. And yet those curves get taken away, put on a body that isn't necessarily black, gets like revered and upheld whilst we get shunned and told to get on the treadmill. And at 35, I'm just having this like come to Jesus moment where I'm like, everything's been a lie and I need, and I need to work out how to get out. (laughs) It's, it's so real. And it's something that I have found that I've had to actively train myself not to think about or focus on. I, I, I've had huge fluctuations in weight with my pregnancy and I am now close to my pre-pregnancy size. I don't weigh myself or anything, but the clothes that I wore before I was pregnant fit. And I get messages from people being like, oh, you look so good. What are you doing? And I've actually chosen specifically to not engage in those conversations because I'm like, I want my body to be the least interesting thing about me. I don't want it to be the focus. And something you talked about, this was a, wow, now a few years ago that I heard you have this conversation on um, Jamila's podcast about choosing what to share online versus what to keep to yourself. And you made the decision to not talk about race online. Um, and I, I, it's so funny. Yesterday, I put something about the affirmative action ruling on, of the Supreme Court. And I, I took it down so fast. I got three DMs within 20 minutes. I said, you know what? This is why I don't have these conversations here because I'm not going to spend my Sunday going back and forth with a stranger about something. And also, if you're coming to me as the source for your news, that is not a good, you know, we've got we've got other people, better people and better journalists that you can follow if you want that sort of discourse. And that's not how I'm going to use my platform and space. I'm I'm here for fun and a bit of lifestyle. So talk to me about that decision to not have those conversations on social media. Yeah, they were just getting too heavy and they weren't they weren't fulfilling me. They weren't paying me emotionally. Like I was constantly starting these conversations and then leaving drained. Like two days later, I'm curled up in a ball, still arguing with a stranger about why, at the very base of it, why black people should be seen as human. When we really cut through all the language, it's like, and why we should have equal rights. That's really what we're arguing about. And I was like, also though, and I, I don't know if I said that on this podcast and I'm I'm clearly in a very open mic throat chakra stage of my life, but I also noticed how in a, in a George Floyd era, how conversations about race fed the algorithm and how all of a sudden, if that was the conversation, the likes were rolling in and the reshares were, and I had to actually have a moment. And I did admit this on my Instagram. I, I, I made a post about it where I was like, I've fallen into this rabbit hole of watching when the engagement starts to dip off. I'll speak about race again, just to get it back on. I said, I'm now just abusing myself for likes. This is insane. I I don't want to do it anymore. And And that was like, So many black influencers then DM'd me and they were like, oh, gosh, like, girl, you you know, in exposing yourself, you've made me feel exposed because I now having to be like and I do the same damn thing. And it's like we were just on this content wheel of trauma and pain. And I was like, and I've had enough of this for the entirety of 2020. There is more to blackness than being shot, than like fighting for our rights all the time. Sometimes we want to drink a little liquor and sit in the sun and just talk about shoes. And to actually- Can we do that? Can we do that? You know? And to see that 
in the data just not be as respected as our trauma as us literally dying I was like, how can I, you know, I can't solve all the world's problems, but how can I not put into this pot anymore? And it's been the same thing with my body because I've been sharing how much I've been training for for a while. People, I think they just saw that as an entryway to go, you've lost weight, you look great. or And I had to shut that down real quick. I was like, listen, guys. I never once got on any app and said the aim of 2023 is a body transformation and I'm bringing you on my journey. It's just me sweating on a treadmill every day. Again, what fat phobia has done in our brains, it doesn't allow us to just see, especially a woman working out and just see that as her wanting to get her sweat on and have a good time. It has to be connected to her wanting to change. Yeah. And I was like, in my social spaces, get learned to divorce the two. Because even if I was seeking a, a body transformation, it is absolutely not a conversation I'm going to have publicly. Because I feel like once you open that door, it's really hard to close. And then I for agree. the rest of the time that you're like defined as a public figure, everyone thinks they get to have an opinion on weight fluctuation. Is she pregnant or is she not pregnant? Like, stop. I completely agree. I completely agree. I mean, they, they do it to Oprah and it's Oprah. I'm like, can we just not talk about her weight? There's so many other things we can talk about for Oprah. But she she introduced the topic, what, in the 90s? And now it's been this kind of persistent through line throughout her whole career. We're at our final question. And I'm so curious for your answer on this. When do you feel most beautiful? It's so the opposite to what everyone would say, but it's with a lot of makeup in a really great dress, like getting ready in my closet with my friends playing music, like like preparing for that moment, that, that spectacle. That's when I feel most beautiful. And I know there's a therapist listening who's like, oh no, you should have said this when you're barefaced. And I get it. I, I get it. <laughs> I love myself. I get it. <laughs> it's like, I just like being done. And the transformation. Like, yeah. And I guess because I used to go to like, I don't know if you guys call it stage school, performing arts school. I used to go to performing arts school. And I think there is that moment of like being behind the curtain and then you go on stage and like my wardrobe and this makeup and this perfume, it's all now toys and a stage. And so when I'm just about to get into that cab, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, it's been truly like my honor to be able to speak to you and get your story. I've learned so much in this one hour we've had together. So thank you so much, Candice, for your time today. Thank you for having me. This has been awesome. Thank you. You'll know real when you get it. It will say eBay authenticity guarantee and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like a gem, sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things that you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts. Real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, 
Solon logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. All right, that was my conversation with Candice. Isn't she just incredible? Please make sure you check out her podcast as well. We'll link to it in the show notes. All of the products, everything we discussed, it's always linked in the show notes. Thank you to my producer and BA Kasanga for putting together this episode. And I'll be back next week with another incredible interview. Thank you so much for listening. 